Podcast. It's Randy and it's Dave and it's a podcast. They talk and stuff. Randy says stuff and Dave says stuff. It's a podcast. Just listen, okay? We already we already put the, the, the oh that's in there the, oh, that's already there. Yeah. Welcome to the Randy and Dave podcast you for don't have to yell. No, no need to yell. Welcome to the Randy and Dave podcast for Saturday Sunday. When is it? Sunday. Sunday, June 9th? 9th? 9th. 9th. 2019. 2019. Year of our Lord, or as as some Jews like to say, 2019 after the Common Era. See, if you mess with it, it's going to fall. No, no fall. No fall. See, normally, normally we record this via Skype, and Dave's at the Dave place, and I'm in the shed, but... You're still yelling. Well, it's over there. Oh, I'm bringing it up. Okay. How's that, baby? Hmm? I still don't think that's good. Why don't you think that's good? Anyway, all right. Well, this will either work or it won't. Mm. Okay. Randy and Dave podcast. It's the Randy and Dave podcast. Randy and Dave have a podcast, and they're talking to you through a phone. Very good. Okay. That's enough. That's, enough of that. that's more than enough. I can do the whole score. <laughs> that would be. That's a different podcast. There's no reason we shouldn't have a John Williams opening to our podcast. Well, I'll call John and see what he has to say about that. Isn't it out in the public domain? The I don't believe it is in the public domain. And you still don't know what movie is coming after that until you. It's Superman. No, but that could also be. Well, I was going to go into Raiders of the Lost Ark. See, they all start with. And then it goes. Do you have topics this week, or are we just going to listen to you hum? Okay. How you know I don't have topics? You were right here when I said. I know. Well, but but then you hit you hit record, and then we started to record. Well, um, the point of topics is to come up with topics before you hit record, and then you discuss them as topics. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. We could talk about. um, Let's talk about you, Dave. Okay. Not. It doesn't always have to be about politics. Sometimes it can be about you. It doesn't have to be politics for sure. What's what's? I mean, you know, how's your life going? You 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 gave up a job that you had for many many years. That's correct. And um, because you weren't happy in that job. That's that's correct. And and you gave up that job in order to do other stuff. That would make me happy. Yeah. Yeah. So and and how's that? And when, and you gave up your job in October. Mid October. And um, when did, did you start being happy? Have you? Are you happier now than when you were working in your job? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. When did you start getting happier? Was it immediate, <laughs> or was there was there a was there a a crescendo to the happiness? Well, you should know. Like when I I think it was literally the the day after I finished my job, or maybe a few days later, I took a trip to um, New Jersey and went to the poetry festival. So that was a nice little way to be happy quickly because I was just sudden immersing myself in, you know, a creative world and also traveling, two things that make me tend to make me happy. Um, 
But, um, no, I mean, there's clearly been an adjustment, period. Um, I told you this, I'm not, you know, I, the reason I've held job jobs for most of my adult life is because, either because I need that structure or I just haven't figured out how to create my own structure. So it's easier to have the structure of a job and to be accountable to that because they're giving you a paycheck and so you show up and you do the work, right? Um, and that part when you're entering a new world, and it really is new, where my job is what I give myself to do. Um, it's In a way, it's easier when you have other people counting on you because it's it's a more kind of tangible thing that I have to deliver for this person. I don't want to let this person down. Whereas when it's you, you can let yourself you down. can let yourself down. Yeah. You can say, eh, "I'll make the bed tomorrow. Uh-huh. I'll do laundry on Thursday," um, as opposed to um, delivering for somebody else. That's absolutely right. You have to um, respect yourself and value yourself enough to say. I owe that to this guy, me, uh, to check this box, get this thing done. Um, and so it's a learning process for me, both the, the logistics of being accountable and setting a schedule and setting, you know, planning, um, as well as the more personal part of, of saying, I deserve, <laughs> I deserve the same kind of, uh, I, sh- I should show up for myself at, at least as much as I've shown up for employers. What, what, what there must be a huge contrast in like waking up every day, and I mean, now you have all these hours every day that you didn't have before because you were at a job. That's true, and and people have often said, and I do think it's true that when you have a job, you actually are more productive, or can be more productive for the other things that you do because you've got a schedule that you're honoring because you have an employer and that just puts you in the mode of productivity. When you have all that extra time, you, one, you can take it for granted. I shouldn't say extra time, but when you have the time, all of the time is for your choosing. You can take it for granted. Um, you can sleep in and, and then despite having, you know, a work week that is your own to do with as you want. You you could be less productive than if you were working a forty hour job and then getting shit done in the evenings and and during lunch breaks and stuff like that. So, and I think in some ways that was true when I was in my last uh, last year and still working. I was also back in an acting program. And I was, um, that was, you know, showing up twice a week and then needing to work on scenes, um, once or twice a week as well. Um, as well as I can't remember what else I was doing. I was doing more, um, writing too. So it, it's very interesting. It, it, I think when you're, when you have something and then you don't have it, you look back at the thing that you had and you think, well, gee, what did I, whether it's time or money or whatever it was, it's like, wow, what did I do with with all that time? Or what did I do? I can't believe at that point I was making that much money. Where did I put all that money? You know, and, and, and or, uh, 
like I, you think I think back to like before I had kids, I would think, well, what did I do every day? What did I right. when I came home from work? Did I just plunk down on the couch and watch television? Right. What did I uh, all? I mean, because all the time that I spent raising kids, of course, is time that I wasn't at work. So if I didn't have kids, what would that time have been spent doing? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know. So uh, I think it's it's when you look back, it's it's you kind of think to yourself, what are my opportunities, or what what what, what could my opportunities be going forward? If I look in two years, if I look back at this time, well, well I'll look back and I'll see, oh, I was doing what? Oh yeah, and um, and it's. I don't want, like, I don't want to be disappointed in myself two years from now that sure. oh, you had that opportunity and you didn't make anything of it. That's 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 absolutely it, and that's that's a risk now. And um, it's, this is, you know, the big challenge of my life isn't isn't just to build a new life and or be successful at it, but to actually do the work of building that life. Like, that will be the success in itself. But do you feel like this is almost a almost a semi-retirement uh, uh, you know, next chapter of an older person now? I mean, I know I feel, of course, sure. I've had certain events happen in my life recently that make me feel especially old. Like, it's time to now move to another chapter sure. in my life. Uh, you know, kids graduating and leaving the house, and and and, and you know, literally turning eighteen. Literally turning it, and 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 also things changing in my business, and makes me think that well, maybe I should just start an entirely new life. Sure. You know, maybe I should, maybe things should just I should not just change little stuff, but maybe I should change everything. You know. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's certainly an opportunity. The, these inflection points. Um, it's not that I don't think I was talking with uh, someone at you know where I have money invested, uh, which is helping keep me afloat. And he's saying, you know, okay, so at some point, uh, let's. How long are we talking uh, in the future where you're going to start recontributing to four hundred one k? Right. You know, and you know, I want to be earning money, but the idea of contributing to a 401k means I'm back. In a right, you're actually job. working somewhere. And it isn't like that isn't appealing, and, uh, you know, to call some of my colleagues who have been incredibly supportive in the companies I've worked at to go back, because there's something very satisfying about that family and that financial underpinning um, that could make this not a new chapter, but the intent is yes. It's not a break. It's a new chapter. Do you feel, I mean, do you feel like you made this change because when you were working, you were just not happy and not happy and not happy and it, and it built on top of itself and it, and it just came to a breaking point of, I just can't do this one more day or was it more of an overall looking at your life overall and you've reached a certain age and, and, and you, you think, well, I just don't want that. I want my life to be something different than it is right now. I, I think it was a combination of both. Like if there weren't certain things that kind of pushed me in the way I felt about my job, I probably wouldn't have been able to honor the, the part of me that knew 
part of my dissatisfaction is I want to live something different. I I have all this stuff, and why shouldn't I pursue it? Um, and I was in a situation also where okay, I can imagine leaving financially, and and other things, you know, just sort of the the, the weight of the work, you know made me feel, you know, sometimes you need that nudge and that nudge of feeling just overwhelmed. Um, and had it not been, you know, because it's easy to be comfortable, had I not had some of that, I could very well just be doing that and not making this change. Like, I just tolerate, you know. Do you, do you feel, lately I've been feeling like, wow, there's a really good chunk of my life that's just over. <laughs> uh, and and again, I think obviously it's having kids, turning eighteen, and graduating, and 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 so you had and, kids, and, and you turned eighteen, yeah, <laughs> and knowing that they're going to be leaving uh, in a couple of months to go away to school, and that, but you know, you get you you, you get to a certain age, and you feel like uh, there's one thing about reminiscing about your own childhood, but then when you start reminiscing about your <laughs> child's childhood, then you're like, you know. I'm an older person now, yeah, you know, yeah. and and you you realize that yeah, Wilford Brimley was five years younger than I am now when he filmed Cocoon, <laughs> and you think, wow, I'm really old. Well, uh, he, he was, to be honest, the youngest of the Cocoon. Yes, films. of the Cocoon team. He just always looked old. He was just—it's <laughs> true. He did always look old, but. I mean, are you, I mean, do you feel that too? Do you feel a certain age or, I mean, or because up until now, I've always just felt like me and age was never, never felt like anything. Mm -hmm. Like I never felt like I was out of, out of touch with anything or that I felt like I, my life, somehow my life was different because I was older. Yeah. Until just recently, because sure. now I do feel like that way. I feel like, you know, like when I when I look at my bills and I look at, oh gosh, you know, health ex health insurance is so expensive, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I'm not that far away from Medicare, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and 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 having to think tangibly about retirement and yeah. and and all that sort of thing. Um, do you feel that sort of thing too, or is that just me because of my? Situation. Well, I do think there's something. You have this, you know, you're surrounded, you know, with your family, which, which provides you markers that a person without a family um, won't necessarily see. Now, of course, I have my parents, and so I can, you know, understand how my relationship with my parents changes as they get older and I get older. So I feel that, but I think I don't get it the same way you do. It's just not as present and so you know i can go along and fool myself to think that i'm you know i'm just one of the kids of course i'm not but. i do find myself trimming my beard much closer because when it when i don't do that it's it's white i said so when i look in the mirror i'm like god who is that old guy and that's interesting i find when i'm most cleanly shaven the age of my face shows more when i have a little scruff in some way, it hides a little bit of that. It's just a thing. I think I think fully cleanly shaven or growth with white makes you look older. A little tiny bit of scruff makes you look like young and cool. Well, maybe that's 
and my, my beard grows so slowly, I have a little tiny bit for like, you know, 10 days. Right. Um, but, oh, what was I going to say? Uh, scruff and beard. Scruff and beard. Oh, but what, I'm, what I'm never going to do is be one of those guys who gets, you know, the white guys, for instance, specifically. But I think anybody do it. You have the the paleness of the age in your face and then jet black hair or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't anyone ever talk to them and say, no. No, it doesn't don't, work. Don't do that. So now but you're. pay is better than. But now you can, you can go on, uh, ourtime.com. Now I'm legal? You're legal. You can, you can go on there and actually, uh, and actually look to date people your own age. Have you looked into ourtime.com? If, if I had a fetish, I would go on to theirtime.com, which is like when they're like really senior and then like. <laughs> Like, uh, matching, matching 50 year olds with 80 year olds since 2013. I don't want to hear about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, I've not been on hard time. You haven't been on hard no, time. Oh, okay. No. I mean, in the dating app world, you generally get mapped to people who are your age anyway. And I don't, I, maybe you need a specific app for an age, but I don't think that's necessary. I think you just need to be. Really willing and able. So are you hungry? Yeah, what, what do you want to get? Tacos? <sighs> no? And by the way, no, I'm not hungry. I don't eat. Until oh, you're not hungry. And again, you know, you showed up. Well, it's what time is it? It's like 1230. It's 1240. We almost never record our podcast during the day. And we almost never record our podcasts in the same room. Which yeah. You may have noticed, or maybe you haven't. This is, we're both live in the same room. We are live. That's true. Um... Anything big in the news that we should talk about? Gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, mean, we had the D-Day thing. We had uh, we had Trump at um, uh, representing us. Uh, at you know what I thought was interesting was uh, they asked Nancy Pelosi something about Trump, and she says that she said something to the effect of that she doesn't uh, she doesn't like to criticize the president on foreign soil. Oh, was she on foreign soil when she? Uh, yeah, I think she was there. I think she was at uh, oh, okay. at. Um, Normandy, and um, and I kind of respected that about her. I kind of I, I feel kind of the same way. It's like when we're home, I will say every nasty thing about him, but sort of to the rest of the world, I don't know. I feel it feels un-American to do. That. <laughs> well, that's certainly the the talk. I mean, all of that those vanities are out the window, and certainly Trump has never honored that. And I think, yeah, I mean, it makes sense not to not to badmouth. Um, on foreign soil, but uh, did you find it? Did you find it at all ironic that he was standing there in front of a giant picture of um, Franklin Roosevelt uh, and reading pieces from Roosevelt's speech, uh, knowing in the back of your head that he find he thinks that Nazis are very fine people? <laughs> I mean, all of it, right? Yeah, all of it is. It's just horrible. I mean, the whole. His thing, it's very interesting because it comes right after the European Parliament elections. So for the, the Euro zone, I mean, it's not the Eurozone, it's, it's the EU itself, where some left-wing populists and the Green parties did well and also some of the right-wing populists, many of those parties that actually don't really want the European Union to exist. And if you think of the European Union as a natural outgrowth of the post-war, um, you know, a drive for 
for a peaceful Europe. And here you have Trump, who represents essentially the desire to dissolve that kind of um, international um, diplomacy, standing in, in front of a war which is essentially about about the holding on to the idea of Europe. Yeah, and against, a united, peaceful Europe, right. Right, holding on against the... Uh, the oppressor, right. you know, the the aggressor. Because the United Nations came out of World War Two. No, no the United Nations came out of World War One. World War One, but well, came NATO out. came out of World NATO. War Two. Right. So, but these things that Trump has essentially tr- tried to right. take a hammer to, right. including the idea of the EU. When yeah, the idea that NATO, the idea that anyone within NATO was a bad idea is kind of beyond understanding. But if we're going to talk about NATO, I do think. You know, NATO did play a kind of poke Russia in the nose kind of role when it kept expanding. Um, you know, well, it it didn't expand. There were former Soviet republics that uh, that wanted the protection of being in NATO because they were afraid of Russia as well. They should be. Uh, look at the Ukraine. So if you are if you're you know a new newly uh, uh, minted minted uh, democracy in that part of the world, you'd want it, you'd want the protection of being in NATO as well. So I, it's not NATO that decides that gets together and decides to start poking well, Russia. Well, no. Russia Russia has chosen to not modernize, to not democratize, to not uh, uh, join. Uh, the rest of the free world in a a productive free market economy, and instead uh, they're run by. I mean, the oligarchy is back, uh, bigger and stronger than it ever was. In fact, it's more like a mob family than a government, uh, and they haven't modernized or 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 uh, capitalized uh, on anything other than their oil. Which they've always had, right? Uh, and which is why they find it so necessary to try to destabilize the rest of the world, including us. Which but, but they've it done. Wasn't, I mean, I'm not not to say that Russia hasn't always, you know, mistrusted the West and and done things to, you know, to try to either keep the West in check or to set it off balance. But you know, there there have been things that the West has done where the West has said. We don't trust you, and it's not that just that we don't trust you, but we're going to continue to treat you as um, an adversary, right? So whether it was missiles in in Western Europe, or it's the expansion of NATO, or the expansion of the EU, um, it, it was definitely leaving Russia to feel out in the cold at a time when it had just be you know after the Soviet Union broke. You know, you, we wanted to really welcome them in. And I'm not saying we didn't entirely. And a lot of this is Putin, right? That he just has a mentality. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, the West could have approached it a little less like trying to beat its own... I don't know. I think I think the U.S., you know, with Yeltsin, with Clinton and Yeltsin had a had a pretty good relationship and we were attempting to 
there was even talk of at one point of Russia joining NATO. Yes, that's true. And and again, that's a little bit like... But it was when Putin came back yeah, in... The offer of Russia joining NATO was kind of a non-starter. That's yeah. a little bit like, we want to continue to have, hey, whatever the word, maybe it's hegemony or whatever, but you can come in and then everything's okay. But NATO, uh, Russia's like, no, just stop <laughs> creating this monolith that treats us as an enemy uh, or thinks of us as an enemy. And, you know... I, I think just think, I think actually it's the Russian people that are suffering the most. I mean, Putin is, uh, I mean, it's a kleptocracy over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Putin is the number one, by all Russia. means, the, the wealthiest man in the world yeah. from money he's stolen. Right. Uh, and, and what are the, the, and the Russian economy still is not that great and doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So I don't know. I think those people are the ones that are really screwed. They had an opportunity at one point to, again, democratize and, and grow into a world uh, uh, economic power, not just a military power. And I think they Putin has kind of squashed that because he wants to go back to the Soviet days. That's kind of his... That's, it's, it's funny. That's his background. That's what he's comfortable I with. I think he knows that's a, that's a loser... For Russia, but it's a winner for him. Um, and you know, once you're in power, right? He's uh, he's found a way to be in power. What is it? Fifteen years now, or he will be fifteen years in power. By the way, here's a hey, here's a Randy and Dave podcast book recommendation. Yeah, uh, there's a guy by the name of Bill Browder. Oh yeah, who wrote a book called Red Notice, uh, and basically, uh, this book is about. How uh, Putin has Putin and his cronies uh, take all the money they've stolen and invest it in other Western countries, mm -hmm. and how uh, Bill Browder has been pushing a uh, legislation called the Magnitsky, Magnitsky Act to prevent them from doing that. And uh, by all by all. Um, um, Accounts? Accounts. The the meeting in Trump Tower with uh, Vilenetskaya uh, was about the Magnitsky Act, and w if Trump got elected, could we do something about the Magnitsky That's Act? That's right. As a trade so, or, you know, there was adoption, stuff about adoption as well. Well, they, right. So, but they, they the, um, the, uh, Bill Browder's a really interesting guy. Uh, it's a really interesting book, and it 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 chronicles basically from the downfall of the the Soviet Union and what happened after that financially uh, in the former Soviet Union, and it's a it's a really good read. It's called Red Notice. Yes, and Magnitsky was Bill Browder's account, lawyer or accountant, account, right, right. yeah, and who was killed in jail or essentially died in jail in Russia, and so this Magnitsky Act has been a, a poke. Which is is right. law for the United and States. Putin, Putin hates Magnitsky. In fact, he hates Browder. Browder, I mean, right. uh, he's trying to get him arrested using in, Interpol. In, in, which is what a red notice actually is. A red a red notice is an Interpol arrest warrant, uh, so that it prevents him from traveling freely around the world. Although he's had to fight them, but in the in the in the meeting with uh, between Trump and Putin when. Um, Trump basically said that Putin very strongly said that he did, was not involved in the um, 
in hacking uh, the, the U.S. elections, um, in that same meeting, uh, they actually they asked, named Putin asked specifically for them to give him hand over Browder. Hand over Browder. Browder is not an American citizen. He's a citizen of the U.K. I, I did not know that. Yeah. And I know he's actually been pressing for essentially a British version of the Magnitsky Act. Yes. Um, so that's why, really, like, Browder's almost target number one for Putin. And if I was Browder, and I know he does feel this way, he's got to watch out for his life, right? Cause yeah. Someone, oh, yeah, very someone's much Someone's going to put some nerve agent on his doorknob. Yeah. And by that, so. it's not a metaphor. I mean, literally, the doorknob. It's not It's not a yeah. it's euphemism. No. Okay. Um but that, yeah, that is the thing. It's, uh, and I don't know that we have time to talk about this, but one of my pet peeves in politics are the fucked up bedfellows that, um, you find with, on the progressive side of politics, where progressives tend to apologize for the behavior of other, and I mean American progressives, apologize for the behavior of, um, historically, um, aligned, uh, countries. So if you're a progressive, there's a bit of that. Um, like the Khmer Rouge wasn't all bad? No. <laughs> but like if you have progressives, historically progressives have also not believed in red baiting, red scare, and, and some have been communist, and, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and so they have a default setting, which is not to acknowledge the desperately terribleness of Putin's Russia, both in how they kill journalists and anyone opposed to the regime, and also to their intervention in Syria and in Crimea, if you want to call that intervention, I think we would. Right? And they apologize for that while calling it out with the United States. They're anti-intervention for the United States, but they don't really talk about the fact that Russia is leading the Syrian war. Well, that's true. You could also say that's true of uh, China. The same thing. It's, you know, China, although they are the bastion now of capitalism, they are still a, a dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they treat their people horribly. I mean, and so. That's true. And so what you have there, though, is typically you have capitalists apologizing for China's behavior. Right. On the and other you have side. Progressives apologizing for Russia's Russia, behavior. Right. And, you know, you had, uh, Jill Stein. But you also had Michael Flynn, these guys taking part in that ceremony in Russia, like sitting at the table with Putin. Yeah. And literally overlooking the, the fact that this guy is a murderous dictator, which just can't be avoided. That's, that's the fact about Putin. Um, but then how do you have diplomacy with murderous dictators? Well, we do it all the time. We do it all the time. So, but we you do it with, how about the the Saudis? I mean, we do it all the time. Absolutely, right? The Saudis is another thing. But then again, there's always different factions of American politics that find their way to overlook based on their own interests. Unless you're in Cuba. Unless then then Cuba. we don't overlook it. Then we're like, nope. We were <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Cuba. And the logic there was that because they support Maduro in Venezuela, so we're going to well, I think, I think it has more to do with winning Florida at an election, but that's another story. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know how that plays with all the new Puerto Rican voters. In Speaking Florida. of Maduro, yeah. how about some tacos? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look up Siri. Search 
common Venezuelan foods. Okay, I bet you tacos are not going to be in this freaking list. They don't have tacos in Venezuela? You know, all of South I, America has a whole range of... Uh, yeah, but South America in general, you're going to have tortillas and you're going to have... Well, sure, but I don't know about tacos. So let's go. I can vouch for Baja California. Muchos tacos. Cuba doesn't have tacos. Well, Cuba has like breads and bakery goods and things like sure, that. Sure. Well, they're 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 an island. Man. That's why you can't get a taco at okay, Puerto. Arepas. Uh huh. The famous saying: "There's nothing more Venezuelan than an arepa." Is absolutely true. The corn-based bread is the ultimate Venezuelan food that can be eaten as a main dish or as a side. That's Do you it. know where we can get one of those? Flat, round, and maybe there's a Venezuelan. Do you know where we can get one of those? No, I don't. Neither do I. Let's go get some tacos. Okay, then there's um, papillon criollo, criollo, uh, Venezuela's national dish. Papillon criollo, criollo. Have you been to Venezuela? You haven't been to Venezuela. No. Have you been to some place anywhere? I've in been to Buen- Argentina, Argentina, Chile. Pequeños. What's going to go on in Venezuela? I mean, how how long can he hold on? Apparently, a long time. Apparently, a long time. But aren't there were like there are like blackouts all over the city and like a thousand percent all inflation over the country, yeah. all over the country. I mean, and and I mean, something's got to give down there. Something's got to give. Well, apparently, it's the military that's got to give. They still and really, we should just completely. Stay out of stay it. Stay out of it. Yes, really, we should. We really should. Yes, we really but, should. But I mean. Aren't there people suffering down there because oh, they can't oh, get... So let's go and help them. There were people well, suffering in Iraq, too. How did that turn out? I mean, it's all... Well, there it's were... It's all a pretense, right? Yeah, but this is an art of... This suffering that there... I mean, you got people down there who can't get antibiotics. You know? Well, who yes. Who we've done what we can to, to offer humanitarian aid. We've actually brought it down there. Um, military intervention from the United States... No matter how well intentioned, did I, I would say doubt. military? Well, what kind of inter- oh, what did you? Say? I don't know. I don't know because you really want tacos. We're not just this? gonna. I really want tacos. I don't know. I'm just saying, the United States is not the cause of Venezuela's suffering, as some fucked up progressives believe. That You're messing up our shit. clean. Tag. Oh, sorry. I can. You'll have to go and like. <sighs> but that is not the United States fault though. We had sanctions on very specific people in Venezuela. The Venezuelan economy economy crashed on its own based on their own terrible planning and dog dogma, whatever. Yeah. I mean, cause they are by all, by all accounts, they should be incredibly oil. wealthy because they have, cause they've got so much oil, but they've just destroyed their economy. Um, which is it, fine enough. You can use that as an example of how socialism, broadly done, is is a failure. Uh, there, that's the case. But American intervention is historically fraught, and if our fingerprint, let alone the thumb of our power, yeah, is on any change of regime or anything, then it will die. Yeah, you're right. It needs to be organic. You're right. That is. You're right. But again, if you want to talk about intervention, Russia's intervening. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, so are we going to stand by and just hang out while that happens? Well, maybe, that's not cool. Maybe that's, we are. Hey, Monroe Doctrine, baby. But Monroe Doctrine is the reason we're we screwed up in other South American countries. You know, so well, just because we've screwed up in the past doesn't right. Mean, Let's yeah. just not Let's screw up anymore. Let's stop screwing up. Oh, we'll do the good interventions this time. Hey, you know what would really make everything better? Tacos. Tacos. Hey, everybody. It's been a pleasure. We're going to go get tacos.
Until next week, this has been the Randy and Dave podcast.